This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Please keep your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 5, and you will find the outline in the bulletin helpful. Now, Isaiah is not an easy book. I have many times in the past attempted to study it, and of course each time I get something out of it, but uh, it is difficult. And it's partly difficult because it's such a long book, such a magisterial book, and difficult also because of the, the genre. I mean, poetry is not really, you know, my thing, right? Uh, and so much of Isaiah is in poetry. But here as we come to chapter 5, there's a song. There's a song. All of a sudden, you know, there's poetry, there's gloom and doom, and then now there's a song. Now, why is there a song in chapter 5? So chapters 1 to 5 of Isaiah form like the, the introduction. And uh, we've seen some of the themes raised up in chapter 1. It will be developed and fleshed out in the rest of the book. And chapter 5 is part of that uh, introduction. And it begins with this song. Because something that songs, you know, especially a good song, something that songs uh, will make us do is that we will agree with the song. Right, because if it's, if it's done well, if it's done right, we will agree with what the song is saying, what the song is singing. So the purpose of Isaiah 5 beginning with a song here is because Isaiah wants us to agree, to agree with what God is saying here. So why don't I pray and ask that uh, God help us to see and more importantly, to agree uh, with what he's saying here. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have such a great privilege uh, to embark on your truth, especially in the book of Isaiah. Father, we are weak and our minds are weak. Uh, this is not an easy book, so doubly we need your help. And thank you that you have promised to feed and nourish your people. Thank you that you have brought us here not to listen to a man, but you, the speaking God. You will speak, we will hear your voice through your word. Please, by your spirit, help us to hear, help us to agree uh, deep in our hearts that we agree with what you're saying. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Bible study, when we uh, came to this passage, I asked Joel to you know, read this passage, and she said, Oh, I will sing for the one I love. And then immediately I looked at Wesley. You know, and then you know, we had a good laugh. But that's the point, right? Because when uh, Isaiah preached this sermon, he came to the people, he preached it, and no one actually knew who he's talking about. And in that sense, that song you know, draws people in. Okay, so, you know, the, the song is about this vineyard owner and Isaiah singing about his beloved. And who is this beloved of Isaiah? Well, he had a vineyard and it was on a fertile hillside. And he, he, he dug it, cleared it of stones, and he put the choicest vines in it. Okay, that's important to recognize, okay, that the hillside was fertile. Okay, it wasn't some barren, rocky place. No, it was fertile hillside. And the 
vines that he put in wasn't some half-baked ones. It was the best. Okay, the best vines he put it in. And then, as is the case in vineyards, in that time you would have a watchtower, so that the uh, vineyard security guard can, you know, stand on it and look out for wild animals or even look out for thieves. Okay, so that's uh, essential. And there's also a wine press, obviously, to collect uh, the, the the wine. Now, so the Isaiah sings this song. And basically he's saying, this vineyard owner of his, this beloved of his, has done everything. Everything necessary, you know, fertile, the choicest vines. And then he goes, verse 3, you know, because he's talking to the people in Jerusalem. Okay, come, come, come. You know, listen, uh, come and bear witness. Okay, you dwellers in Jerusalem, people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. And then all of a sudden, the song takes on the first person. No longer Isaiah singing about his beloved, but the beloved himself singing, Come, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I've done for it? And obviously, you know, because, yeah, it's fertile, it's choicest, it's done all these things, dug it or stone, nothing more could have been done. And then the second question, when I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Ah, and this is the issue. Because what the vineyard owner has done with the choicest vines, the fertile, everything, you would expect that good fruit would result. But instead of good fruit, good grapes, there is bad. And uh, the bad here is actually stinking fruit. Instead of good grapes, there was a crop of stinking fruit. Okay, so you... You must try and understand what uh, Isaiah is doing here. It's like this uh, auntie going to her neighbors. Come, 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 come. You know, come and listen, come and listen. You know my maid, uh, you know what I've done for her, you know. When her father needed operation, I allowed her to go back. I even gave her some money, gave her, you know, three months off. And then when her brother needed help, I even helped him with the, start a business. And you know what my maid has done? Us. Steal money. You know, she dared to steal money. And then, and then the, the medicine, uh, supposed to give grandma, she didn't give, you know. She take the medicine and go and sell it on carousel instead. Oh, you, you can't judge, you can't judge. Then, of course, all the neighbors there, they'll be like, yeah, wow, you know, you're so good to this man. And then, how, how can she do this? Okay, so, okay. I could have been an actor if I was a pastor. Okay. Uh, can be a B, B class, B list actor. Okay, but the, the point is, the point is, Isaiah is drawing the people in. These dwellers in Jerusalem, these people of Judah, at this point in the song, they have come to the point where they are like the neighbors, agreeing, yeah, you're so good. You I mean, you did everything, and yet, how could it yield this bad, this stinking fruit? Now, what is this stinking fruit? Well, we come to verse 7, and verse 7 explains the song. Verse 7 tells us plainly that the vineyard of the Lord Almighty, so the one that Isaiah is singing about is not some ordinary vineyard owner, it is God himself. And the vineyard is the nation of Israel, the twelve tribes, and the people of Judah, 
because Isaiah focuses specifically on the nation of Judah, the southern nation, the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. You see that strong emotive language, the vines that he loved, he took pleasure in. And he planted it carefully, he gave it every opportunity, everything that was needed for them to produce good fruit. But instead, he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. I just want you to uh, turn over to verse 16 and compare. Because the same two words, justice and uh, righteous, comes up. But in verse 16, it is talking about God. God who is just and a God who is righteous. Verse 16, but the Lord Almighty will be exalted by His justice. And the Holy God will be proved holy by His righteous acts. So verse 16 reminds us that God Himself, His character, is one of justice and righteousness. And so when He comes to the people of Judah, He's actually looking for aspects of His own character. That's why when He goes and He sees, hey, instead of justice, there's bloodshed, instead of righteousness, there's, there's, there's this cries of distress, He's actually looking for His own character in them. I mean, what uh, David Jackman says, what we would call godliness. God's own character he wants to see in his people. And what Isaiah has done, uh, most footnotes will uh, tell us that, that the words in the Hebrew for justice and bloodshed are very similar. And the words for righteousness and cries of distress are also very similar. So I didn't study Hebrew. Uh, I only did Greek. Uh, but I have learned four Hebrew words for your sake this morning. Okay, so uh, he looked for justice, he looked for mishpat, but saw bloodshed, mishpak. Looked for righteousness, sadaka, but instead he heard cries of distress, saaka. So can you see it's very, very similar. Now, Instead of simply trying to be clever or simply, you know, uh, make his uh, song memorable, Isaiah is communicating here a very important point by this similar sounding words. I think the point that he's trying to convey is that the people of Judah, they thought that by their actions, their religious deeds, they were giving God what he wanted. Very similar, what God is asking for, hey, not bad, We 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 are, you know, giving him roughly, roughly what he wanted. Like, you know, very similar to what God wants. It sounds similar, but they are a world apart. God was looking for this good fruit, but instead they produce stinking fruit. And that's why the first point in your handout there is, why is it so wrong? Why is it so wrong for God's people? To rebel against him. Okay, that is, that is what the song is trying to get us to agree with. Yeah, yeah, it is so wrong because God has been so good. He's, he's blessed the people. He's provided everything they've needed. He's, you know, he's given them chance after chance and, you know, revealed himself. And, and, and yet, they still rebel against him this way. I mean, it is getting us to agree, yes. This is why it is so wrong 
for God's people to still be sinning against him, rejecting him. And the second part of the chapter, verses 8 to 30, is where all the sinking fruit, if you like, is uh, fleshed out. What exactly was the, the stinking fruit, the bad fruit that Judah produced instead? And you will know from your Bible study that there are six woes. You can see the first woe there. Woe to you, in verse 8, who add house to house and join field to field. So I put there, verse 8 to 10, it's a woe to the greedy land grabbers. And then uh, I said in Bible study, you know, how many of you, your family owns more than one property? Then everybody look away a bit. Okay. No, okay, it's not, it's not, <laughs> okay, it's not, it's not so direct, it's not so direct. Okay. Uh, what's helpful is, uh, a passage in Leviticus. Okay, so you can either listen, or if you are fast, you can turn to it. In, uh, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35 reads, God giving instructions to his people. It says, uh, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor, and are unable to support themselves among you. Help them. So, you know, if a poor Israelite, you know, whatever, the, the harvest didn't go well, you know, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger, so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God, so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. So God gave uh, clear instructions about how they're supposed to live in the land. So the thing is this, right? When Isaiah pronounces this woe on these greedy land grabbers who are, you know, ha- having more and more fields, the thing that is implied here is when they add field to their field, whose field did they take over? Whose field did they now add to their own? Is someone who, because of whatever situation, has you know become poor financially, and these land grabbers have taken opportunity, exploited the situation, and added to their own wealth, instead of obeying what is clear instructions here in Leviticus. 25. There is the sin here of covetousness, of greed. There's a sin here of exploitation of the needy to increase their own wealth. Now, the thing about this section when, uh, you know, Isaiah pronounces all these woes and woes and woes, right? I, I'm sure uh, most, if not none of us, will be ones who, you know, display this sort of sin in this sort of blatant form. And so the temptation may be for us to, you know, stand back and just, you know, do that sort of thing. Ah, oh, you know, oh, the, the, the people of Judah in those days, you know, shake our heads at them or, you know, wag our fingers at them. Uh, but the thing to do is we need to come to this passage and what we must be careful to see is how, if not the full blatant expression of this sin, but at least see maybe some of the essence, the seed, the embryo of this sin, how that may be present in our hearts. So we can't go, oh yeah, I only have one property. 
I stay in HDB, four room, you know, and, and so, oh, I, I'm not guilty of this. But that would be to excuse myself, let myself off the hook too lightly. How is the sin of covetousness, of greed, and, you know, wanting to increase at the expense of others, how is the seed of that sin, how is that present in me? So that's the, the first woe. The second woe, uh, verse 11, woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. And so funny, at the Bible study again, when we were covering this passage, I saw at the corner, someone had brought in 10 bottles of soju. <laughs> so, um, okay, so it was quite funny, but... Uh, you know, so, <laughs> okay, you're not, not laughing, okay. Um, okay, clearly, clearly, uh, I, I'm not accusing my Bible study members of uh, committing the second woe. Uh, but it was just interesting that there was so much soju in my house when we were covering this passage. Okay, but what is, what is the, what is the woe here? What is the sin that the people have committed? It is made clear in verse 12. Second part of verse 12, all this uh, wine and harps and pleasure and feasting, but second half of verse 12, they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. So let's be clear that God has nothing against enjoying, you know, that odd bottle of soju. I believe that 10 bottles of soju will last them, you know, 10 months. You know, two years, you know, something like that. You know, that, that, that moderate, responsible enjoyment. God has nothing against that. But you see, the second half of verse 12 makes it clear that they have so pursued entertainment and pleasure, their self, you know, uh, pleasing themselves that they have ended up having no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of His hands. Now again, what is the seed of this sin that may be present in our hearts? See, what Isaiah is pointing out here, this stink fruit, this version of the stink fruit is rather than God's people who should be, who have been given resources, gifts, talents from God, instead of pouring our lives out to increase and to advance his agenda. Our focus, our resources are spent on pleasing ourselves. See, rather than living for God, rather than living for the cause of the kingdom, our focus is on living for ourselves. And uh, last week, when we were at youth group, we had missions morning. And some of the youth chose to watch the one on China. So, I mean, I let them choose. Uh, and I, I had seen that particular DVD, I mean, like four or five times already. I showed it to my students. I showed it to church camp. We watched it. But it, it brought me to tears. Because one of the scenes in that um, DVD was the, the missionary interviewing uh, this Chinese believer, 
and he was asking her, hey, can you write me the Chinese character for brave? But instead of, I, I, I couldn't, what is charge? <laughs> you know, but instead of just writing one Chinese character, she proceeded to write three quotations from Christians in the past. So instead of writing the, the character for brave, she wrote about brave character. And one of the heroes from the past, one of the Christians from the past that she quoted was Jim Elliot. You know, Jim Elliot's uh, famous line of, uh, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. And it brought me to tears. Because you may know that Jim Elliot is my hero. So I named my firstborn after him. And, and, and just listening to that, I, I was brought back to that time in my youth when I had so much more transparent zeal. When at the drop of a hat, I would give up anything. Yes, Lord, wherever you go, call me to go, I will follow. And then compared to myself now, yes, I'm a pastor of a church. I, I busy myself in student ministry, you know, during the weekdays, but I know that there's been a change in my heart. I've grown comfortable. And so, it's challenging. This woe here. The sin of seeking to live for ourselves instead of joyfully, gratefully being poured out for the cause of the kingdom. We will look at the other woes more quickly. Uh, in verses 18 to 21, I've grouped it together. Uh, woe to the fools. Uh, because here what Isaiah describes uh, is uh, the fool that is described in the book of Proverbs, the, in wisdom literature, the fool who you know, runs after all these things, the one who rejects God's word. Okay, so uh, in verse 19, uh, we meet this fool, okay? This fool who says, Let God hurry. Let him hasten his work so we may see it. Uh, the plan of the Holy One of Israel. Let it approach. Let it come into view so we may know it. Okay, so what is this fool doing? This fool who is saying, Okay, come. God's plan. Let it come. Now, he is not saying, Oh, God's plan of salvation. Let it come. No, no. This is a fool who has been hearing Isaiah's warning of judgment. And this fool is actually going and actually saying in his heart to God, bring it on. You know, like, bring it on, right? What a fool! What a fool! And okay, of course, we look at this and we go, okay, okay, okay. Like, you know, I'm stupid at times, but I mean, I'll never do this, right? I will never, like, you know, taunt God this way. But I just want to examine, examine with you what is at the heart of someone who might do this. At the heart of someone who will do this, you know, taunt God in this way is someone who has no fear of God. And that is a fool, right? I mean, like, the, the opposite of the fool is the one who is wise and the beginning of wisdom 
is the fear of the Lord. So this fool here, at the heart of what he's doing, is an absolute lack of fear of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but that is one thing I struggle with. Fearing God as I should. So I thank God I never do this. I mean, I never, I never, you know, like, bring it, like, to this degree. Many times, I know I choose one option over the other, give in to one attitude over the other, because there is a lack of fear. Isaiah continues, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light, light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now who of us here with soft hearts can look at this woe and still think that I'm not condemned? Because again and again, right, we tolerate and we condone things that God in His Word clearly, clearly says is wrong. But we tolerate, we condone these things because it enables us to fit in, enables us not to be, you know, uh, blatantly rejected by the people around us. We call evil good. And we call good evil. We may look at someone uh, in a prosperous situation or in a good situation and our hearts may envy that person. Even though we know that that guy has spent or used corrupt means or he has, you know, been so focused in order to accumulate all these material things. But we say, hey, wow, in our hearts we envy, we covet. We are calling good evil. Evil good. Verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. We like to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. And Isaiah is saying, woe, 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 woe. What is the meaning of woe? Woe is the Bible's way of saying, you are in big trouble. And not saying it from a gloating, taunting way but saying it with great sadness, great realization that there is no turning back. Woe to you. You are in great trouble. Because the second point in your handout is, uh, why is it so right? And remember, the song is getting us to agree First, Isaiah got us to agree, yes, why is it so wrong for God's people to rebel against him? Yes, 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 you know, we agree. Why is it so wrong? Because God has done everything. But now Isaiah wants us to, wants to get us to agree why it is so right for God to judge his people and for us to agree. I mean, come back to that neighbor, you know, talking about, uh, you know, the, 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 the maid, how she treated the maid so well. Can you imagine? Right, after she's talking about the, the maid, and the maid run out of the money, and then all the neighbors are going, yeah, 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 you should fire her. You know, you know, you should, you should send her back to, you know, wherever she came from. And then at that point, she turns to the neighbors and says, 
You are the one. Because you are the employees who work for this company and this company has, you know, paid you well, given you, you know, all these perks at work. You know, and one of those perks is, you know, they even hire a masseuse so that you all can take half an hour each week to have a massage, you know, like Weirong's company has that. You know, so, you know, and, 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 you know, the company has done all these things for you. And yet you have stolen from the company. Imagine the neighbor turns to, to her neighbor and say, you are the ones. You've stolen from the company. You know, the, the, the company's secrets, you have sold it to the rivals. And just as you say, it is so right for me to punish this maid, send her back. Then you need to realize how right is it for the company to fire you, to sue you. And so Isaiah goes in verse 5, Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, it will be destroyed, I will break down its wall, it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. Briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. There is no second chance. And at this point, Isaiah's hearers, right? In verse 3, you dwellers, judge between, and then they'll be going, yes, that's right, that's right. Until they realize, verse 7, that he's talking about them. You are the vineyard. You are that vine that God expected good fruit, but you've produced only sting fruit. So in the passage 8 to 30, uh, there is Isaiah going into detail about God's judgment. Uh, we see part of it in verse 10. Uh, for the greedy land grabbers, I mean, they grab all this land. What will happen to them? A 10-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of, of wine. Basically, all this land and will produce only so little wine. Okay, why? Because in God's judgment, uh, as uh, one commentary put it, the land hungry will end up being hungry despite having all their land. And then in verse 13, Therefore my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. Those of high rank will die of hunger. See, they pleasure themselves. They chase after wine and good fruit. Good food. But instead, God's judgment, they will die of hunger. And the common people will be parched with thirst. So we see it again and again, God's uh, judgment spelled out. And at the end of the passage, in verses 26 to 30, he talks about God whistling, calling, you know, like, Whistle as you would whistle for a dog. And the dog comes. Except it's not a dog, it is the distant nations. Now, it's uh, not specified uh, exactly which nation here. Could be talking about Assyria, could be, could be talking about Babylon, could be talking about both. But the point is, as an instrument of God's judgment on his people, these nations will come. And look at how they are described. You know, they come swiftly, speedily. And, 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 you know, they don't, as, as they, as they, as they ride their horses over the plains coming towards Judah, they are neither tired, they don't stumble, they don't even slumber or sleep. Their belt is not loosened, the sandal strap is not broken. I mean, there's nothing impeding them as they, as they race 
their inevitable coming towards Judah. The arrows are sharp, their bows are strung, their horses who seem like flint, you know, as, as, the, as the horse hits against the ground, what is this spark, 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 because it's coming so fast, it's coming at them. I mean, Isaiah is describing a foreign army, like supernatural. It's like, these are not human. And in a sense, because they are God's agent, God's instrument for judgment. This army that is both invincible and unstoppable. And coming to inflict judgment on his people. And Isaiah has gotten us through the song to agree, yes. This is so right. God is so right to judge his people. And so how should we respond as we, as God's people here today listen to this passage? I mean, once again, I want to say, please don't allow yourself to be let off the hook. Right? Don't, don't, don't commit that sin, uh, of, uh, you know, verse 19. The people who say, oh, let God hurry, let him come, you know, because we think, Ah, oh, surely this judgment is not for me. You know, surely, you know, God won't be so, so, uh, so harsh. No, we need to have soft hearts. We need to ask God to help us gain some sense of His hatred. His hatred for sin. His hatred for stinking bad fruit. And ask God for his help to examine. God, show me, show me, you know, let your word here expose, shine its light in my heart so that I can see. Thankfully, maybe not the, the full blossom and fruition of, 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 of this fruit, but you know, the seeds of it. The seeds of it, if it's not watched, if it's not dealt with, will grow, will grow. And the growing of that stinking fruit will cause us to turn away, grow cold in our pursuit of God. We must ask God, please give me more and more that same hatred of sin. And I think you will agree with me if God does that. If God does that work in our hearts of convicting us of sin, of our own sin, not, not, you know, not sin in general, but our own sin. The, you know, don't, don't just look, oh yeah, I'm better than them. Don't just go, oh yeah, I, I didn't do that. But God, God show me what I have done. What I have thought, what, what, what the, the motives of my heart. God, show me. Put your finger on my life and show me. And if God does that, the response of our hearts would be to agree. To agree with Him more and more. Yes, God, it is so right. So right for you to pour out judgment. 
It is so right for me to receive your judgment. I, I deserve this. This is, this is what I deserve. But yet, friends, come. Behold the wondrous mystery. That even though it is so right for God to pour out His judgment on sinners, it has pleased the Lord to pour out His wrath on His Son. That's why those of us here who have come to trust in that Son, on the one hand, we wrestle with, yes, I, this is what I so rightly deserve. But God, in His grace, He has poured out the wrath that's supposed to be on me. It's been poured out on the one sinless, righteous Son. And as we understand what God has done, His overflow of grace and mercy, then even more than Isaiah's audience we would agree with God, yes, then it would be so wrong for us. So wrong for us to not strive. So wrong for us to not give God what He is looking for. And definitely the Bible never says anything about sinless perfection. But the point I'm saying is, yes, right, we, we, we begin to agree, yes, is we understand the grace and the mercy of God, what God has done, His countless Giving us second chances is so wrong for us to not despise sin, to not strive to grow in holiness, godliness. May God help us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg